The following podcast is sponsored content from Prudential. 4040 Vision is a four-part podcast hosted by me, Faith Saley, that explores the contemporary experience of being in your 40s. On this episode, we explore the idea of changing careers. By the time you're 40, you've usually hit your career stride. You may have even mastered business casual. You, you may be the boss. But sometimes something else calls you, whether it's a passion or children. Maybe a career change wasn't your choice at all. Maybe you were laid off. In this episode, we speak with individuals who have made a career change in their 40s and what they learn from their leap, or as we learn, pivot. In 2008, Carol Cohen co-founded iRelaunch in an effort to help people who took a career break get back to work. 2008 was the beginning of the Great Recession, which was a critical career period for people who are now in their 40s. Carol noticed a trend among many of her clients who were employers. In the 2008 time period, we started to notice that the use of internships were expanding as a way to engage with the return-to-work population. So I got highly interested in the use of the internship as a vehicle for returning to work, and I started looking at it closely across sectors. It ultimately resulted in a report that I wrote and then an article for Harvard Business Review that's called The 40-Year-Old Intern. That research led me to Kathy Bayard. I thought her story was so compelling, and I followed her career all this time. Kathy Baird is an example of a professional who was out for a multi-year career break, who was able to get back into her field and grow herself professionally. So we decided to reach out to this 40-year-old intern, Kathy Bayard, to hear in her own words what it was like to transition from a Texas-based political consultant to stay-at-home mom to intern in her early 40s, and ultimately to the position of vice president at the Network of Executive Women. Kathy Bayard, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. So, Kathy, you showed up for an internship at the age of, what, 42, 43? Uh, Yes, I did. It was a very special internship called a Returnship, a program that Sarah Lee started in 2009, in an attempt to get experienced women who had taken a career break back into the workforce. Why did you take a career break? I was working in consulting after I uh, finished business school and had an infant and realized that being a road warrior and caring for an infant didn't really go together. So during the time that you left the career world and stayed home with your kids, were you feeling at all like your career or your opportunities might be passing you by? Oh, absolutely. I don't think anybody who takes time away from work doesn't have that worry and concern about being left behind. There's this pressure to keep your skills up. But the fact of the matter is you don't stop thinking when you stop working. And you may have to catch up on technology they're using. And even that, quite frankly, with the tools we have at home, you're not that far behind what people have in their offices. Navigating the culture and navigating the politics is where you're playing catch up. Anytime you make a change, right? It's that balancing act of what am I bringing to the table? What do I know? How can I leverage? And then where is my opportunity to learn? Because we all, you know, every new environment, every new position, every new role is an opportunity to learn. Do you think people in their 40s who are 
going back to work or or changing their careers have even more to offer than someone younger? Absolutely. My sister stayed home with her kids for 15 years and went back to work as a nurse. She was probably 40 when she returned. What she brought was a sense of maturity, an experience that you really only get with time. And I think that that's true for many of us who are later in our career, shifting careers. You bring so much of your life experience into the workplace. And I think savvy hiring managers recognize that. Can you think of any moments or or share with me a story about showing up at Sara Lee as an intern on this returnship program? You're in your early 40s. You have years of work experience behind you, but, you know, you're the new kid. (laughs) The new kid's in her 40s. What was that like? What did people say? I had a, a woman say to me, you really have a lot of courage, Kathy. You had the courage to leave and step away, and you're making a choice to come back. She said, I know you want to be here. She said, there are many of us who never took time away, and sometimes we question whether or not we're in the right place. I think she's absolutely right that being able to make a choice to leave, which is a real privilege and not everybody has it, but also making that choice to come back uh, has been a really powerful opportunity for me to understand what's important to me. Because if I'm going to take time away from my family, I want it to be something that I can believe in, you know, that lights my fire, that gets me excited, that I want to spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day working on and having the impact that I want to have in the world. And what is that? What does light your fire? It's advocating for women and girls. And I think having come up in the world, having spent 20 plus years as a woman in politics, as a woman in business, we're just not there yet. We're not recognizing the value of diversity. You know, I have a young daughter. I want her to be able to be all that she can be and get be excited about work and the opportunities ahead of her. So what's it like to get to your 40s and completely change what you're doing with your life? I think many of us, if we're fortunate, have an opportunity to explore a couple of different areas of our life that excite us and bring us great passion. You know, in my 20s, I didn't set out for a career in politics. I think which happens to a lot of young people, you're not that intentional about your job. You take what's offered to you and make of it what you can. But I realized after about 10 years that I wasn't having the impact that I wanted to have in the world. Yeah, you're now the vice president of Network of Executive Women. What is that? What does the network do? The Network of Executive Women is an advocacy and leadership development group for women in the consumer products and retail industries. We create opportunities for women to make connections for both business and personal advancement. Many have called it the safer place to network to build those business relationships for women that don't involve dinner and drinks. Kathy, maybe I'm just projecting because this crosses my mind, but you're concerned about advocacy for women. Does it ever drive you nuts that it's mostly women who take this career break to concentrate on their family? And therefore, it's mostly women who find themselves in their 40s having to relaunch their careers? Yeah, I think there are more men who would like to do it and just don't have the courage. Maybe it's not courage. Maybe it is. There are a lot of assumptions and a lot of biases that still exist in the workplace. I think there's more frustration about that than about the fact that it falls to women to take that time off. You know, I, my, my husband has taken a step back from his career and is home and pursuing some passions, but also caring for our two children. I want to talk to that guy. Yeah. 
I think we can arrange that. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Hi. So, Alan, how did you feel about Kathy taking an internship in her 40s with two young kids? I was a little hesitant at first, not about the idea of her going back to work, because we always agreed that she would go back. But she came to me with this unusually good opportunity, and it was with a well-known company that was nearby, and and, and she was so excited about it. I, it was contagious. And, and I thought, well, you know, what the heck? Let's give it a try. And were you ever in the position of somebody saying, oh, yeah, you know, what do you do? What does your wife do? And did you ever say, oh, my wife's an intern? <laughs> no, I just said she worked for Sarah Lee. I was real proud of her for getting that job. I was, I was impressed. So you left your job a few years ago. What was that like? That's not a normal move for someone in his late 40s. It was kind of a relief. Kathy saw me with my head on my desk one day and said, you know, just quit. We'll figure it out. And I feel so fortunate that I have a wife where we both agree that there should be one person home with the kids and also that she has the ability to go back to work and support us. So I I quit my job. And in fact, my boss wrote me after I resigned and he said, you know, you're doing what we'd all like to do. And so what are you doing now? Are you following your passion the same way your wife is? Yeah, I write songs and I um, record songs. Did you ever think that in your late 40s, you would be a singer-songwriter who stays home with your kids? No. I read some article once that talked about how midlife crises are more like a second adolescence. And, you know, I wanted to do this when I was about 19. It's really a fortunate series of events that I've been able to do this. For older generations, when you got to your 40s, all the questions were answered. You might even be near retiring. Mm -hmm. What do you think that the choices that you and your wife have made sort of demonstrate? I think that'll give encouragement to other people and show people that it doesn't have to be one way. I mean, I I think you you guys demonstrate that choices don't end once you get into your 40s. Unless college becomes free, I'll be back in the workforce one of these years or days. It's just a good opportunity for now, and this works for now. What do you think people think about your role reversal with Kathy in terms of who's the breadwinner in your family right now? All the people in my circles seem to approve or even envy me. I, only once in a while do I come up with some kind of older macho guy who kind of looks at me sideways like, what's wrong with you? Like, like for example, the guy who does our taxes, I, I told him, yeah, my wife got a good job and I hated my job and so I quit. And he looked at me and he said, well, everybody hates their job. And then he changed the subject. Hmm. By the way, you're like, dude, I'm paying you to do your job. I'm sorry you hate it. (laughs) Have you written a song for your wife, Alan? Not about this. I did write a song about leaving my job called Sunday Night Blues, but (laughs) I I should do that. That's good. That's that's good. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Every Sunday evening I get this impending sense of doom After every Sunday evening I know stormy Monday comes too soon In the last few weeks it starts on Sunday afternoon Our next guest is Rosalind Greenstein. She's the author of the study New Careers for Older Workers from the American Institute of Economic Research. This study suggests that people over 45 who face up to the challenge of pursuing what she calls encore careers are often rewarded. But not all the findings were exactly what she predicted. Whom did you study? We called older workers those who were over 47. And we wondered if they had made career changes 
anytime after 45. What were you expecting to find out? We were expecting to find out that older workers couldn't change careers, that it was really hard, that the environment in the labor market wasn't welcoming, and doubly to make a change is even harder. I would expect that too. And yet, what did you find out? We found out that it was challenging and that there was a lot of success. 82% of the people that we surveyed responded that yes, they had tried to make a, a career change and yes, they were successful. Did you get a sense of what types of changes they were making? Were these people reaching sort of the middle of their lives wanting to pursue a passion? We divided the decisions to change careers as it's market-driven or it's not market-driven. So market-driven would be something like the economy tanked. Non-market things were, I was going to retire, but maybe that didn't work out. Or I needed to leave the workforce because I needed to take care of somebody and now I need to go back in. Or I really want to bake macarons. That's right. Exactly. I want to try something else. I want to express myself. I want to do something that people call encore careers. I like the connotation of an encore career. I mean, it, it, to, to me, taking that kind of leap of faith deserves applause. So the successful career changes were people who did more of a pivot than a leap. Pivot meaning you took the skills that you've already used and have mastered and built on them and made a slight change, as opposed to, well, I had a really great career uh, as a computer programmer, and... Now it's time to be a professional basketball player. Exactly right. I don't think that's going to go well. <laughs> Those kinds of jumps are much harder. So having co-authored this study, with all the things that you've learned, what advice would you give to someone in her 40s who wants to make a career change? So we had a survey that asked, you know, very straightforward, yes, no kind of questions. But we also asked open-ended questions. And we would ask questions like, if you were going to do this over, would you do it? Or if you're going to give advice to somebody, what would it be? And people talked about how it was an act of courage. I would have suspect you might say, oh, they, you know, technology or, and, and it was more emotional. It was much more emotional. And in fact, one of the things that we found is that a lot of the advice that people give and also a lot of the services that are provided in employment and training centers were not the factors that were reported as being useful or successful. The things that did make you a successful career changer was that if you had had formal education, completed your degree, leveraged your existing skills, and the broader and deeper your skill set was, the more success you had. Plus, courage. Plus courage. Rosalind, thank you for sharing this. It, it made, kind of made my day. That's so great. It made my day, too. It was a pleasure to be with you. Rosalind's survey suggests that among those folks she studied, individuals who made a pivot using their pre-existing skills were more successful than those making a leap into entirely new territory. So what's it like for those who chose to leap? What were the challenges and what did they learn? Our next guest is Alex Barnett. He was a lawyer for 12 years when he was laid off in the mid-2000s. While terribly anxious about the circumstances surrounding the layoff, he, he had gotten married and had a child around the same time, he used his layoff as an opportunity to leap or dive into his passion, comedy. Alex, you, when you were 41... You didn't have a job all of a sudden? Yes. that's Actually, I wasn't quite 41, but yes, I did not have a job. Wow. Very abruptly. How, what happened? I used to work for a small firm based in D.C., 
and I was the resident partner in the New York office. I had been asking my partner for about a year or a year and a half, you know, where's the money? And I said, you know, I think there's a problem. We have to address this and maybe figure out different ways to make money more regularly. He said, no, 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 don't worry about it, it's fine. And then sure enough, right after New Year's, he came up to New York and we had a meeting. He said, you know, I've looked at the, the books and uh, we don't really have enough money, so I have to close the New York office and let you go. But I remember that in the ensuing months, there was serious panic and anxiety attacks that occurred on a very regular, if not multiple daily basis. Put it this way, I wound up like circling the living room, screaming at the top of my lungs and thinking my life was over and that I would be broke in, in short order. So what happened? I wound up actually getting an offer for a job in Washington, D.C., where I had lived for a long time, for about 10 years working as a lawyer. It was a conflict because my now wife, uh, then girlfriend, is in fashion. She works in New York City and she wasn't going to be able to come to D.C. with me. Uh, it wasn't entirely clear that, you know, we could continue to be in a relationship together. I just felt like not that excited about it. And at the time, I had sort of re-explored comedy, which I had done for about two years before. As, as a kind of hobby? I thought I would do a couple of shows and then I'd be on HBO. And I right. realized that's not how it works. So I had done it for about two years. And then my job got in the way. I kept having to travel and not being able to perform at shows. So I had stopped and I had been writing. I picked up comedy again, you know, maybe almost as sort of therapy. And I went and did a show. A friend of mine had a show and they said, well, you know, we have a spot you want to do. It. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I thought it'd be fun to get back on stage. And I did it and it was really fun. And I thought, you know what, why not? This is this opportunity that I have to explore this as a real career because I don't have a job and maybe this is not the end of my life. It's the beginning of my life. What was the conversation like with your now wife when you said, you know what, I just turned down a, a job as a yeah. lawyer in D.C. and I'm going to be a comedian? Well, uh, ironically or perhaps unexpectedly, everyone was really supportive. Nice. Um, yeah. Starting with my girlfriend, now wife, she was like, I just want you to be happy. Whatever it is, I just want you to be happy. But then what I quickly learned is that you can't just flip a switch and say, hey, I'm a comedian. And then the next thing you are is on The Tonight Show. I mean, there's a long road. And I don't even think I realized at the time how long that road is. Are you glad you didn't realize how long the road is? Do you think you still would have made the leap? It's good I didn't know how long the road is mm -hmm. and how difficult it is because I think if I really realized what's involved, there's no way I would have done it. You have to love it because otherwise it's an impossible career path. It's ridiculous. It's, it's insane for anyone who wants to eat food to do it. Where are you now? Are you a practicing comedian? <laughs> I'm a practicing comedian and a practicing lawyer. I mean, I've never gotten to the point with comedy quite where it was generating enough revenue that I could not practice law as well. And you're married and you have a kid. Yes. So you decided to get married and decided to have a kid when you were barely getting by? Yes. Not a, it was an interesting decision, I'd say. What were you talking about? Were you Was your comedy full of jokes about being 40, being a former lawyer, having a kid on the way? I didn't talk about law that much because, frankly, I didn't really want to talk about it. I was really talking about, and still am, you know, my family and my personal life. And I would talk a lot about reservations about marriage because I wasn't married and I had reservations about marriage. You know, and then once I was married and had a child, it was talking about... Well, I'm married. We're an interracial family, an interracial couple. I'm a white Jewish guy. My wife is black and converted to Judaism. My son is biracial. And that really became the focus. Do you still have financial anxiety? Of course. I mean, I think 
I'm the kind of person who would always worry no matter what. So even if I was a billionaire, I think I'd probably be worried that, well, you know, the economy could still go down tomorrow, like the, the, the Dow and the NASDAQ could collapse and I'll be broke. And, and, I, and I've been broke before in my life too. Once you've been broke, I think it makes you committed to never being broke again and really nervous about it ever happening. Uh, I still so have fun. It's so crazy that you decided to be a comedian. Yes, it was not a well-considered position, but... How, where did you get the courage? Again, I think it's because when you're presented with an, like an emergency or crisis situation, you will find strength that you don't normally have or that you don't think you have. Had I not been laid off, I don't think I would have left my job to pursue this. It was only because I was forced into a corner that I found strength that I didn't otherwise have day to day. So what advice would you give someone in his or her 40s who maybe isn't faced with an emergency situation, but, you know, is kind of toying with the idea of of making a change or or possibly pursuing a dream? If you're living that life of of just grayness and zombitude, you owe it to yourself to do something towards chasing your passion. Now, that doesn't mean quit your job today and go become a painter, but it may mean, you know, look, go make a plan, pick a goal, and Write down all the things that you would have to do to get there, and then start with the first step today. Sign up for a class, or if you want to be a great photographer, you know, buy a camera. Do it slowly but surely, but if you do one thing every day towards your goal, guess what? In about a year, you might be in a place where you could say, hey, you know what? I am going to quit my job. How has your pursuing comedy evolved? Are you doing other creative pursuits while you're paying the bills, I guess. You know, I first got into comedy because I loved writing. I love that process because I can really get lost in it. So now my work has evolved largely to where the centerpiece of what I'm doing consists of my podcast, Multiracial Family Man, which is available on iTunes. (laughs) And partly it was driven by uh, my life because I have a lot of demands on my time and I also want to be around for my son. But this podcast thing has really gotten under my skin. Like I really enjoy this process that you and I are engaged in right now of talking to people and comedy does not lend itself well to family life because you have to be out every night and there's a lot of time when you're sort of hanging around. Although family life lends itself well to comedy. Yes, <laughs> good point. That's actually very true. How old are you now? Just turned 48. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Are you living the dream? I am living a dream. I don't know about the dream. I think I would say that I'm still moving forward with the hopes and aspirations of being at another level and that I have greater financial freedom from all sources. Can you define what your passion is? My son, for sure, is the first and foremost, because if I had nothing else and I just had him, I'd be fine. Do you think yours is a story worth hearing? I hope so, because I feel like that would mean that I have a life well-lived or a life that's meaningful, which everybody wants to feel like their life is meaningful. Do you think your story is unique, though? I mean... I don't know of a lot of people who go from being a lawyer to being a stand-up comedian in in their 40s. There are several lawyers turned comedians. Uh, Paul Mercurio, I think Dino Badala, the late Greg Giraldo, sadly, who's passed, but was an excellent comic who'd been a lawyer. And there's several others. But yes, I don't think there's too many who made that switch late in life. I think I'm sort of unique in that respect. And it it made it harder. What would you tell the Alex of 15 years ago? Be great. If you could give him some advice. So he'd be 33, and he'd probably think being in your 40s is kind of old. What would you say? Yeah, he would. I think if I could go back, I would have told him to chase his passion then and not be afraid. Interestingly, when I was 29, I thought about moving to Israel and becoming a rabbi. And 
I didn't You're, do it. You just got like a bag of tricks. I had a job that I really love, and there was a transition in the firm, and it was sort of like an upheaval. And I just thought, you know what? I should just get out now. I wasn't that wedded to anything. I didn't have any com- commitments. I didn't have any debt. And I thought, that's what I'll go do. And I chickened out because I thought, oh, this is such a monumental sea change. And what if I don't like it? And, you know, that school, like, what if I get out and I can't get a job or some low-level paying job as a congregational rabbi in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> I never yeah. thought about an unemployed rabbi. <laughs> yeah. It's, I just thought, oh, this is terrible. So I chickened out. You know, I don't regret that decision, but I think about it a lot. Well, Mazel, it seems like you figured out a way to live a really fulfilling life. I think so. I could always use more money, but yes. Sure, right. Yeah, I'm very happy with where I'm at, and uh, I would encourage anybody who's thinking about changing. It doesn't have to be like flip a switch and change everything in your life all at the same time. Right, because especially if you're in your 40s, there's probably a house of cards there, right? That involves, like you said, 401ks and a spouse and kids. and. You don't have to sort of fall into this trap of of thinking, oh, I have to be reasonable, but (laughs) but you can be strategic. Which is different. That's great. That's a great point. I think people don't do things and they say, oh, I'm being reasonable or moderate. And it's really code for I'm afraid. I find it impressive to talk to a stand-up comedian who doesn't default to making jokes all the time. Thank you. Well, if you would ask my wife, she would tell you that I'm not funny at all. (laughs) My husband says the same thing about me. She doesn't realize she's giving you so much comedic material. She's like, how does anybody come watch you? You're not funny. So I don't want to be the guy who's always like, ba-dum-bum and adding adding a joke at every comment. You know, that becomes old and annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great. It was a real pleasure. Okay, so Alex followed his heart and, well, he didn't become a rabbi, but he became a stand-up comedian. But what if you're about to turn 40 and your dream is to join the military? Ray Caban grew up in the inner city in the Bronx and has had several major obstacles in the way of achieving his dream of joining the military. But the dream never went away. It only grew stronger with adversity. And at age 40, he faced the prospect of aging out of the enlistment period. Ray, let's get a little of your background. Why did you decide to enlist in the military eight days before you turned 40? Uh, well, how much time do we have? Like, and <laughs> fill me, in gaps. Tell me your story. When I was a kid, uh, you used to get those pamphlets in school where you could order books. But there was this other little pamphlet that came in, at least in the inner city. You would get this pamphlet and you could send out for like wristbands and headbands from the military. And then they would send you information. And I would send for these things, and I told my mom that I wanted to go to the military. I got maybe one headband. I saw any position of serving others, something cool and something that I wanted to be a part of. So I, I go to my mom like, hey, you know, I wanted to go to the military. And she shuts me down right away. She goes, um, well, I already lost your father to violence. I'm not going to lose my only son from him. My dad was a correction officer off-duty trying to uh, break up a fight. So your mom, for extremely understandable reasons, kind of shut down your dream of joining yes, the military Yes, not even kind young. of. She shut it okay. down. Full yeah, on, Like Kanye shut shuts it. down a club. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> she shut it down. And that was it. It was there, the desire, but no longer on my mind. I had to just, I just blocked it out. So what did you do? I was already becoming a very angry teenager, and I started withdrawing from the good habits. You always went to what you thought was a role model in the neighborhood, not realizing maybe they weren't. 
So what did you end up doing professionally? I had an uncle who owned a deli. And so luckily, he would bring me to work. He was one of my father figures. And I would go to work with him. Early on, like I was 12, 13 years old, loading the cans in the refrigerator, making bread, whatever it took. Like as I got older, I ended up doing things that, you know, most kids weren't doing in that sense. At home, it was like, well, you have to go to school, but you have to work. If you need money, you want money, you have to work. Did you go to college? I was lost. I was, I was, uh, and I was smart. I just didn't realize it. It wasn't until 9-11. How old were you? 27. 27. There was a list that went around for volunteers at Ground Zero, and I had my name on the list. Like Two days passed, and I'm not being called, so I reach out to a police officer friend. The police officer friend of mine is like, hey, sorry, you're most likely not going to be called. I remember slouching down on this stupid office chair. I felt like complete trash. And so I went home, and that weekend, it was just one of the worst. But that Monday morning, <laughs> this, is, this was dial-up still, and I go to FAFSA. It's financial aid website. And I fill out the information, and then I go to what made sense to me, the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, to see if I can enroll. Okay, wait a minute. So over that weekend, where you feel devastated and, and kind of like, Watching what am I worth? glued to the I, television. I want to help, and I, I'm, I'm not even allowed to help. Right. Some right. people would would just think, that's it. So what what happened in you that made you kind of rise up on Monday morning and take this initiative? Well, from everything that I knew about my father, he was a go-getter. My mom kept his memory alive. When he knew he was going to have children, he told her, there's no way that I can look at my kids in the eye and tell them to do things I haven't done. So he went and he got his GED. You thought of your dad. and you thought, I thought, what would he do? And if he was looking at me right now, would he be proud? So did you get in? No. Blessing in disguise, as it turns out. I end up going to... Hostess Community College in the Bronx. I did well. I crushed it. Crushed it. Got yourself to Columbia University. Well, it was, I, you know, it's funny how, how things work out. I bang out Columbia, do all types of things I never thought I'd do. Played rugby, went to Argentina, graduated in 2008 when the market crashed to my detriment. A job that I had lined up went to someone with master's. I float around doing different jobs thanks to the Columbia degree and rugby, believe it or not, got me jobs. And then eventually I realized, well, that degree is not what it used to be. I need to apply to grad school. I applied to the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia again. I was blessed enough to get in. Things happen where I need more money for the final semester, but I also realized that there was this void that education wasn't filling, mm. that all the volunteer work that I'd done wasn't filling. And I realized it was that I still never got to serve my country. I still had that feeling. So I realized that if I didn't enlist, I would age out. You decide to enlist in the military eight days before you turned 40. Kay. That's not what most people do as they approach a 40th birthday. That is true. And I know that it sounds absurd in a way. Surely you were the oldest guy in boot camp. I was the actual, yeah, I was the oldest Did they, like, one. call you Pappy or anything? One of the girls there uh, did coin me Papa Smurf. <laughs> yeah. What was it like being the oldest guy? It had its benefits, but definitely also had some negative aspects in that, you know, you had 18-year-olds that have never worked, don't take things seriously, 
don't understand what you're leaving behind, but I knew what I left behind and I knew I still have to get back to it. And you're also working for the lowest wage ever since you were like 15. Was that humbling? Extremely humbling. I mean, at the end of the day, honest work is admirable. But for me to know that I could hear all those people in the back of my mind saying, you're insane, you have a degree, almost two from Columbia, you're going to enlist. You are very humble and you sound like a grateful person. Why do you think you have so much courage? I know what I went through growing up and I know that helped mold me as a person, even the negative parts. And I know what it feels like to help others. I've seen it and that feeling when I can sleep well at night doing something that I know I that was good and even if no one saw it I know I saw it so it's not courage it's more like I'm gonna do this because someone has to why not me what part of your journey has taken the most courage the one that took the most courage was actually believing in myself I thought I was this lost cause from the Bronx I thought I was gonna be a statistic I didn't even think I'd make it past 30 my father didn't you know, it's interesting that w- w- from your background where you grew up, people don't plan ahead. It's almost It sounds like it's almost a luxury to plan ahead. What about your financial future? Can you plan for that? Right now, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm also not where I used to be. Once I put it all together, I'm going to be fine. And I have all of the tools to get to where I need to be and want to be. And it's just going to take a little time and some more work, but I'll get there. Thank you. I'm too old to enlist, but I'm going to do something today. <laughs> Good. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Ray is currently active in the Air National Guard and could be shipped out at any moment. Simultaneously, he's working on his second degree from Columbia in international law and human rights. A generation ago, folks in their 40s were gearing up for retirement. And now, according to a Gallup poll, the average age of retirement is 62, which sounds young to me. It just proves that 40-somethings, as Kathy told me, have plenty of runway left. So. What are you going to do with that runway? Whether you're planning a pivot or a leap or just simply staying still, being in your 40s can mean perfect timing to search for deeper meaning in your work. Back in the 80s, 1986, I think, when when I was in high school, like many other 40-somethings, Dan Rather would end his CBS newscast by saying courage, for which he was roundly mocked. But I think... It's a good way to end this podcast. I think that's the real takeaway from what we've learned today, is life in your 40s can mean huge changes and dreams fulfilled instead of postponed or ignored if you have courage. That's it for this episode of 4040 Vision. Special thanks to our guests Carol Fishman-Cohen, Kathy and Alan Bayert, Rosalind Greenstein, Alex Barnett, and Ray Caban. Be sure to subscribe to 4040 Vision on iTunes and check out the entire 4040 Vision rollout at slate.com slash 4040vision. I'm Faith Saley. See you next time.